0: Did you come from radio? Is that is that your background or do, are you just sticking the middle finger up at radio?
1: I'm Johnny Casino and this is Radio's lame. <clears throat> if you can't tell from my voice. I've been sick lately. I, I get these sinus things once a year and <clears throat> it's it's it gets to the point where it it goes in phases, right? So so first I get that drip in the back and and, and it just like my throat is sore and it's uncomfortable and it just feels terrible and then the congestion comes and then it falls with this this right here where my voice is just like not there so I'm going to keep this intro short Uh, I actually had to cancel a recording recently because I I just I can't do a full episode this way right I mean that that wouldn't work Um, and and actually on that note after this episode so next week there'll be one more episode that comes out and there's probably going to be a two or three week break um, part of it is due to my schedule. Uh, my wife and kids recently flew up to Seattle. Um, I'm going to be a, driving a car up there and everything and preparing the house for me to move here in a few months. Um, and so, so my schedule has been a little bit whack. Uh, also I, I, I kind of hit the end of, of that dedicated group of, of people that I was kind of setting up to, to do the initial recordings with and, so I've got a lot of content I need to consume and a lot of creators I need to contact. I, I've got some lined up and some that have that have given me the go-ahead. We just have to work on on scheduling the date. So it's going to be a few weeks off um, as I line up the next group. Um, but that's neither here nor there right now, right? Because right now what's important is Victor Lucas from EP Daily or Electric Playground decided to come here and talk to me. Now, when I started doing this, I wasn't sure... Um, how hard it was going to be to get some people who were maybe a little bit bigger in the industry. And, and I don't know how big Victor Lucas is considered, but I mean, he was on TV for like 10 years. So, I mean, that's a thing. Um, a couple years ago or or a year or some change ago, I don't remember exactly, when we talk about it in the episode, he had to transition from being on TV and his show ending to wanting to continue it and moving it onto YouTube. So this episode actually focuses a good bit around that, and for anyone out there that's looking to make a TV quality show on YouTube, he actually has a lot uh, of advice on how you can do that, what you can spend, uh, what you might need to get, just you know uh, how how to how to make that happen. Because the barrier to entry into YouTube is is almost none, right? I mean you don't have to pitch it to people. You don't have to get people to sign off on it. You just have to start making it and then you can put it up how you want to. Um, but there are other things that go into it with equipment and whatever else. And he kind of gets into that a bit. The big thing that I took away from this though, is that he talks about how he got into electric playground to begin with and how he made that decision of, Hey, I need to be doing something different or at least a little bit different with life. Um, you know, what went into his thought and how he was able to be like, okay, well, I, I need to make this change. Here's how I'm going to do it. And for someone who's going through a big change and for someone who is, you know, I'm, I'm changing my complete career, or at least that's my plan. Who knows? I could just end up being a, a bum and hopefully living off uh, a wage that my wife will start making. Um, but like, I'm having this, I'm having this fight with myself, like trying to figure out how do I do this? Like, I don't, like honestly, I don't want to work for somebody. I know the reality is I probably will have to. Um, but if I could take something from what Victor taught me during this episode and be able to to set out and make my own thing, maybe not content creation related, although that would be great. But to be like, okay, let's let's make a business, right? And he gets into that, and that meant a lot to me. That that I think that that gives me something to look forward to, or at least a a plan to start working out. Um, even if I have to, you know, go into the regular workforce and continue that way for a while first. So uh, I'm going to end this here because it actually legit hurts to talk, but listen to Victor take in what he says about how to, to make a good thing on YouTube, but also how to look at your life, where you want it to go and have the drive to make it end up how you want it. Vic, I I wanted to have you on here, um, probably for a while, but I wasn't sure. I needed like a transition to be like, hey, you should, you know, here's why maybe you should come on here. Uh, Luckily, going through, uh, you know, some other people, Scotty Jones from uh, a few weeks ago, as the time this comes out, all that stuff kind of led me a nice little connection there. So that's awesome. But Uh what I wanted to talk to you about is you've been. You've been, for years, been doing a show, EP Daily or Electric Playground. You have recently taken that into YouTube. Yep. And I kind of want to explore, like, how how that is and how other people can do something like that. So not to go too deep into it, I'm kind of curious, how did the initial thing start? Like, the Electric Playground, the TV show and everything, like, how did that all come to be?
0: Uh, it was an idea that I, I, uh, I kind of... I created the idea based on wanting to figure out what I was gonna do with my life. And it was looking at, uh, uh, I was an actor, and I was looking at, you know, waiting for someone to kind of discover me and give me an opportunity. I had trained and spent, you know, some real dollars on uh, getting an education to be an actor, and I was a pretty good actor, and I did get some work, but I I really kind of hit on the the notion that, listen, I'm gonna be giving over my future to, uh, you know, the will of other people and somebody giving me some kind of a big break and I said yeah, there's got to be something else I can do so I wrote down a hundred different business ideas that I could start um, I was a waiter so I was making a little bit of money doing that uh, and I encourage anybody that's you know trying to build any kind of a dream to look seriously at getting into the waiting pos- profession and becoming a server because the uh, the tips come in handy and the sort of time and, and hours around a schedule like that give you a lot of time to think of other things to do. And uh, anyways, I wrote down 100 different ideas, and the one that I really thought made the most sense was a, a television show that kind of went behind the scenes of the video game industry and, and uh, reviewed these games in a, uh, uh, a fashion that didn't look like they were... It was an infomercial. Yeah. And uh, it was basically taking Entertainment Tonight and Cisco and Ebert and saying, why isn't there a show like this for the video game world? I, I wanted that show. And I felt like millions of other people would. And the numbers backed me up. So I took all the data of how big the business was, how many magazines were on the racks, how the website, the video game websites were starting to grow, how the video game technology itself was starting to look a lot closer to what we were seeing on the big screen, you know, like uh, the Pixar movies and stuff. At least in the cut sequences on Saturn games and PlayStation games and Dreamcast games, they were looking incredible. You know, actually Dreamcast was a little later. But it was... uh, uh, it was a pretty clear pitch and I walked into a lot of rooms by myself had never produced anything uh, but I would had a lot of comfort with being able to communicate with people because of the experience of being an actor and and being a waiter and I was able to carry myself with a you know uh, in honesty and and um, and integrity I, I recognized early on that you know if you go in uh, to any kind of a business relationship with people you have to you know lay out what the plan is and then commit to that plan and then deliver on that plan. And yeah. one of the great, greatest pieces of feedback that I ever received was at the very first E3 when we were still building our relationships with the video game community and there was a PR person working for Sega and he said, I like you guys. You always do what you say you're going to do because at that time we were you know, shipping out articles or shipping out demo tapes or whatever. We weren't on television yet but we knew right from the get-go that if we said we were going to do something or be somewhere or deliver something or produce something, um, we did it. And uh, that was true all the way along. And so we, you know, I, I went off and pitched the concept to uh, potential production partners in Vancouver, and really quickly realized that not a lot of Indigenous television content gets made from this city and delivered out there. That's starting to change for sure. <laughs> but then I, um, so I, I, I picked up on that and I realized, look, I'm going to have to kind of do a lot of this legwork myself. And so I, it was a two-pronged thing of. Uh, going to E3 and NAPI, which is the big television uh, um, convention where a lot of uh, syndicators from around the world and television uh, stations from around the world would come and look at different types of content. We'd go to shoot stuff, but also to have meetings with uh, potential broadcasters. And then I physically went to television stations, and and our first deal that we signed was in a station just across the uh, U.S. border in Bellingham, Washington, which um, uh, delivers and carries into the Vancouver markets called KVOS, and we sat down with uh, the general manager there at the time, David Reed. Who, uh, thank you, David, uh, wherever you are. Uh, but uh, he, we showed him our demo, and he loved it. And uh, And he said, yeah, I want to do this. I'd like to do the show. And I said, great. Can we get a letter from you? And he said, sure. When when would you like it? And I said, how about right now? And so he proceeded to sit down at his desk and write up the letter that he was going to carry Electric Playground and signed it right there. And that was our first uh, station that we had signed. And then based on that, um, you know, after getting a couple more U.S. stations, we went to NAPI. Again, we've gone two or three times by this point, but then we talked with Canadian broadcasters and said we already had American broadcasters signed up and they went, oh, okay, well, let's do it. And then based on those arrangements, we got sponsors and, and uh, you know people kind of opened their doors to us. And um, you know everybody in the video game industry was really welcoming. They really understood that I, I was trying to build something that would, and what I told all the people that we worked with, all the developers and publishers at the time, I said, if you guys aren't fans of this show, then we have failed. I want to honor and respect what you guys are doing in this community, and I want you to watch it. And uh, and they did. And people really, you, you know, like we really delivered on 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 what we wanted to do. And it, it wasn't just me. It was the the group of people that I was able to, uh, you know, align myself with and, and uh, hire and bring on board. And I've been incredibly fortunate, but also I, I'm pretty good, I think, at, at finding good people and giving them a lot of agency to kind of develop their own you know, uh, abilities and persona and, uh, and, and I hate to use the word brand cause I feel like people <laughs> are so, you know, they're in such a big rush to make themselves a brand, but I don't know. Like I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy and very proud of, of the fact that we, uh, we did something that was very hard. People, people are in front of the camera all the time now. And I think that there has been this Kind of dismissive attitude about how difficult it is to broadcast out there. But in in the mid '90s and prior to to that, it was there was a ton of channel constriction. The costs of the tech of the technology were incredibly high, and uh, it was very difficult to convince people to support concepts that would allow you a platform like we had with Electric Playground on television. You know, and I see everybody just always talking about the death of television and and that we're moving we're in a post tv world and cord cutting and and you know i agree with big chunks of that but the the beautiful thing that television provided me as a content creator is this uh this stage this shot this shotgun kind of blast to a lot of people that was pre-built you know like yeah. it's it's easy to put a camera in, in front of your face and start streaming to YouTube or Twitch or whatever but it's difficult to reach families it's difficult to get a whole group of people to sit down and watch your content together and it took us a long time on television to be able to do that but we eventually did and uh, that's why I will always have mad respect for the television industry and why I miss that it's not just the budgets, it's not just the ability to hire my friends and put a lot of people together that I really respect to build all this material, but um, what I miss about the TV age is that the way that people consume television is kind of in a group, you know, people will walk into a room and they'll see somebody else watching something and they'll get caught up in it and we introduced so many people to the video game world that had just this peripheral tangential kind of appreciation for it and we changed minds. And I feel like the video game industry is doing a terrible job at changing minds. You know, mm. like Kimmel is running a segment right now. It's this big funny segment of parents turning off uh, kids playing Fortnite, and <laughs> they're freaking out, and screaming, and, and, and you know, so they're turning off the TVs on on these kids. And they're and it's funny to watch these kids have these uh, tantrums, but you know, they're not exploring the why Fortnite matters. On television, anywhere, you know, that's not Kimmel's job. But on TV, anywhere, no one is exploring why Fortnite matters and why it resonates and why kids have that appreciation. And I don't feel like you know, mass media and you know, this—it's endemic to media just struggling in general. But I feel like the games business is not doing a good job at uh, um, you know, connecting with groups of like family. Families and getting people to watch this stuff together so that there is more of a cultural appreciation for it. but you know I say that and I also understand that it's incredibly difficult to get any group of people together to watch anything now we all have our own oh, phones yeah. you know our own screens on us all the time which to answer your question transitioning to YouTube that's been a big uh, that's been a big revelation for me is the, um, the instant connection with people as we're putting our content out there. And I've been loving it. It's been really, really a great education and, and a great, um, uh, you know, a, it's been a great reward to, to honestly engage people that are watching our material in the material that we're making in real time is, uh, is profound for this guy that, that cut his chops on television. It's really cool.
1: So <clears> – <throat> A couple of things, you know, struck me during, during what you just said. Uh, the first one is I, I know a number of people that make shows, make podcasts, YouTube stuff that are, that's good. Right. But they just, mm-hmm. they, they don't ever get the following. Like they have a quality product and it's just, no one is seeing it. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm not, I'm not someone who likes to, you know, at the end of the show, be like, yeah, okay. Rate and rate and subscribe or rate and share and all that stuff. Like I just, I feel weird asking people to do that right yep. with anything I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, which probably explains why no new people find my shows until I have a guest on who maybe some of that guest followers will see it. Sure. Uh, um, but man, like you put yourself on TV, like you're on a channel that someone else might be watching what's on before and they're like, ah, I just won't change the channel yet. And then all of a sudden, like you just have these people that just unexpectedly stumble across what you're doing. Yeah, man, that's, that's it. I, I think we solved the problem here. I just need to be on TV to make this work.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, you know, with the understanding that TV has changed and the, 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 the broadcast industry is very risk averse right now. Um, and you can see a lot of the same formats over and over and over and over again, uh, which is incredibly frustrating. And I feel like the, the television businesses waved the white flag to the internet, yeah. it, you know, it, it, they're kind of like the, uh, um, the creators of their own demise by the way that they shepherd their content and lock it off. And I, you know, I have some pretty big ideas around all of this stuff, which come from some understanding, but not all of the understanding, because I never was an executive at a, at a broadcast, at a broadcaster. Uh, but, you, you know, w- my vantage point, I mean, even if you look at CNN, right, CNN is in um, the news business. And if you don't have a television um, Uh, provider uh, relationship, like if you don't have a contract with a television provider, at least in Canada, I don't know if this is true in the States, if you click on the CNN go button, you get a 10 minute kind of taste of the live Mm. broadcast. And that just seems antithetical to what you're trying to do. You're trying to sort of bring this information out to as many people as possible. And that just seems silly to me. And it's really hit me that and, and they're advertiser based. So why wouldn't the advertisers just want that, um, you know, access to consumers everywhere if you're in that business? And I feel like information is different than scripted content is different. Oh, of than, course. And and I feel like it should be treated differently in the age of the Internet. And I I, I feel like that was one of the issues that we had working with television as it was transitioning to this new, this new, um, way that we consume material that the TV just wasn't ready. And I was pitching our partners, uh, you know, some pretty progressive ideas around all of that stuff, but they just weren't ready. And I feel like, you know, I was told that how can we compete with the internet? And what's been clear to me is that the internet is just trying to be TV. You know, the Internet is just Mm -hmm. trying to get enough eyeballs to justify the expense to spend to have enough equipment and people to make good television style programming. And TV was already there. And what they should have done, especially in in the information age, is not give up all of the the eyeballs to other sort of upstart little groups with, uh, you know, a DSLR camera and an Internet connection is they should have. combined forces or, you know, hired in that direction and delivered their content in as many ways natively as they possibly could to make it easier for people to access that information. And honestly, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, commercial enterprise. I wish that news wasn't so commercial. I wish that it wasn't so funded by advertising. Um, but it is. And, but you know, reaching all of those people in those new ways would just be better for business and better for consumers, you know, and that definitely would speak true to our type of material. So, and honestly, what I've learned now in the last few years of transitioning to delivering our stuff online is that I wouldn't do a TV deal around electric playground unless I could also deliver the content online the way that we're doing it now, you know, and, and it would be a superior product online because of uh, the lack of time constraints we could do a lot more stuff and that's one of the great things about uh, uh creating ep live or having the long form interviews and stuff that we have on our channel we never had time for that uh, mm. on on the show and um it it's it's incredibly freeing right like i would always have these conversations you because know, my vantage point was as a business owner and as a fan of creativity and as someone that had the perspective of knowing how difficult it is to um, motivate a team to build stuff, you know, uh, it's a challenge, and to keep them all sort of moving forward in the right to, in the same direction to deliver something, you know, on a regular basis, I always had that perspective in every conversation that I had with um, with creators out there, and I think that gave me a different vantage point than a lot of other journalists because they were all working for outlets or they had the you know, they they had boxes to tick off, you know, what, yeah. what, what are the features and what's in this and all of all of which is important. But I had this other kind of angle. And uh, now with and what would happen is I would have these long conversations, which were pretty cool. And then they would they would get edited down to, you know, a three minute piece. To be a part of a 23 minute show now i can have a 10 minute or 15 minute conversation with cory barlog or ed boone or, or whoever you know and uh and it and it goes up there you know and it's uh you know so yeah i i wish that we were everywhere yeah but it's it's uh it's a tricky time these days and and you mentioned you know trying to find more eyeballs. I think everybody that's making content right now is in that same boat. I mean, there are people that have, um, hit with the, the right kind of personality or the right product or, uh, you know, the right brand deal or whatever. And they've been able to sort of have those rocket boosters on gaining a lot of traction on, uh, on viewership or listenership. Um, but I think for the most part, everybody that's creating content from music makers to novelists to comic book writers to filmmakers to game makers to indie studios, large studios, we're all in the same boat of, of uh, fighting for people's time. We've never been in a, in a point in human history where we've been this over entertained and have this much access <laughs> to, to material. It's, it's unbelievable.
1: I've never, I've never sat there and thought about that specifically, but you're right. You're right. There is literally too much out there to entertain you and trying to figure out, you know, where to put that time is, is, uh, it's either a dilemma or a joy depending on who you are. Yeah. So <clears throat> whenever you, you transition, so you, so you did a transition, I don't know how, how long ago, what did you, did you go from the TV we- to the YouTube?
0: Our our uh, TV deals ended in, at the end of 2015, okay. and then I had a little. I had about a week of uh, contemplation about what the hell am I going to do. Actually, I've been thinking. You know, I was at that crossroads, but Ubisoft invited me to uh, an event for the division, and uh, I said, "Sure, I'll come down." And I didn't know where I would put the content, but we had a YouTube channel, but we we were just starting to get to use it in 20. We were very late. We should have done it a lot earlier. A lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas. Uh, but the end of the day is we produced 25 seasons of television over 20 years. And then we made a, a, a spinoff show and did 14 seasons of daily TV there and d- docu- we did a ton, you know, yeah. but certain, certainly in in retrospect, you you think, oh, we could have done uh, and one of those is we should have been on YouTube a lot sooner. But um, I went to this event for the division and I shot it on my iPhone and I had a great conversation with developers because that's that's what I do. Um, and I put it together and edited it and posted it on our YouTube channel. And, and, uh, it got some traffic and people were talking about it and we were being quoted on different other websites. And I was like, I guess I, I, I could just post videos here. I guess that's what we could do. And, uh, and so we, we did. And, and I, you know, I hired, um, Blake back, uh, Blake Siefkin who's, who's been working with us for, you know, about a dozen years. Um, and then I. I did some contract stuff with some other people here and there, and uh, we've just been assembling as much content as we possibly can, and um, we grew and grew. And then we also did some um, partnerships with companies like Nintendo and the Vancouver Film School and done some other documentaries and stuff that that, uh, uh, fit and uh, align with what we do with Electric Playground, and that's brought some revenue in. And, uh, and then this year in 2018, we said, well, why don't we take what we've learned with a lot of the streaming stuff? Cause I was doing let's plays and every once in a while I'd be streaming Vic's basement, which was our podcast and, uh, uh, and then we were also cutting a lot of content and sticking it up online like you would on, on YouTube. And I said, why don't, why don't we do this? Why don't we make EP a live show for real and I'll host it live and we'll have the news and we'll have segments and we'll just make a show of all of these things that we have known how to do. So some will be edited and some will be live and we'll have guests live and Skyped. Um, and so that's what we did. We challenged ourselves and it's really just been Blake and I that have been, uh, sort of trying to make all that to you know happen together but we've we've got a segment called this day and everything cool which has been every day since uh january 15th and and so we'll have a full year of every single day that segment has gone up and we've put i think roughly around three days a week of um ep live out there which is a tremendous amount of work because we usually add uh, game reviews or movie reviews interviews uh, we do a let's play of content that has come in in the middle of all that we chat with the people um, and then we have buried treasures which we shot a ton of new ones of those which are like looking back at classic games and oh, our nice. rundown so it's it's a lot of content and it's too much content for YouTube and people keep telling me what the fuck are you doing why are you making so much material <laughs> are, you know you're flooding our inbox with notifications but we have ingrained in us this kind of um, t- well two things Electric Playground is a brand it's not like it's just my personal channel. It's not the Victor Lucas channel. It's, it's a brand that's been around for 25 years. And I, I want to maintain that, that kind of, um, place in the, in the, uh, the media landscape. So the brand of EP has covered a lot of stuff. Our motto is, well, you know, we cover everything cool every single day. And, uh, so there's that, but, but we also have this discipline of building content, you know, Blake does, I do. And and so we get up every day and we, we make a lot of, of content and, and, uh, it freaks people out. I think that it feels a little weird on YouTube because YouTube is really kind of raw and personal Yeah. and we have that because, you know, people have grown up with me and they get to know me, but it's, it's also, pre- 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 you know, I, it's hard for me to even say the word. It's also <laughs> professional in quotations and, uh, um, you know, it's produced and, uh, and we're sort of right in the middle there. And, you know, we're starting to put the plans together for 2019. I've got some big ideas, stuff that we've never done before. Um, and stay tuned. That, that could be a pretty cool announcement. But it's, uh, it's crazy. This is, good. this is my 25th year that we're making EP content. Uh, things have changed a lot in the, in the, uh, the game space. Um, but I still love what I do. And what I do is I talk to creative people that build the world's coolest things and I, I play those things and I see those things and watch those things and uh, I kind of relay that information and that perspective back to people. And it's an absolute privilege, you know. So I, I, keep, I keep going and we keep having fun. So whenever you made this
1: transition – you talked about 25th year doing, you know, EP Daily and stuff like that. Yeah. Was was there any issue with the brand or who owned the brand or who owned the name or anything like that for you to take it? Or has it always been yours? It's,
0: it's uh, you know, it's I created it and it's been mine. I did sell it at one point. I sold it to uh, um, a company. I, t- I sold it to... Uh, uh, Um, Orca Bay entertainment, I think is probably the top tier, but they owned other media companies and, um, they slowly got out of media and they sold it to another company in Toronto. And then that company got into financial trouble and, um, they, they started to slow down, uh, their investment into media and, and they were, uh, looking to get out of it. And I said, okay, well look, you know, in lieu of a severance, let me buy the rights back and all the gear back and everything to, um, the ownership on, on the brand. So, I never sold the production company, but I had sold the brand of Electric Playground and then reacquired everything, all the assets and all the trademarks and copyrights and all the materials that that uh, we have shot, but also all of the equipment and everything. So I own it all. And now I have this this massive library of content that i'm I'm a little stuck with what to do with. Um, it's the most <laughs> exclusive. Material in the world because we were the only one doing what we were doing for a long time, like from the mid 90s until uh, uh, probably until G4 started, I think, you know, maybe a little X play would do a little field reporting and stuff, but they were really mostly studio based. But EP was always a uh, out in the field visiting studios, you know, uh, sitting down with developers, getting them sometimes to do some pretty crazy stunts and silly things. But uh, we, we had an incredible access right from the beginning. So I've, I've put up five seasons of EP on our YouTube channel uh, Starting with our first one in 1997 and then I said, you know I want to do this right because what we have and I keep getting asked for access to our content and I I, I don't want to give it away for free. First of all I'd sure. like it to be a revenue generating thing for us because that revenue will help us continue um, but uh, I don't also want to make it my full-time job to sell our old content or our classic content. I want to be making new content. So it's, it's kind of a, and we have so much of it and so much that can be reutilized. And so I'm in this crossroads now where it's like, um, I want to find the right partners, either, you know, sponsor partners or investment partners or whatever to help me really, capitalize on what this content can mean and it, it means more than just posting at the seasons and the episodes it's you know every one of those segments is kind of a cool thing i got, you know recently got asked to you know somebody to borrow some interview footage of of us talking with gabe newell about the original half-life because we were the only camera crew there uh at the at the sierra event in 1998 mm-hmm. and uh, um so i i want to do more with with the material than just stick it up and that means that i need financing in order to be able to do it because it's it's almost like i need to hire a full-time um, um, person to kind of not just post the material but dig into its it, to the content and transcribe some of the stuff and and uh uh you know give us a database that we can really pull from because not only do we have these episodes we also have these extended interviews that didn't get cut you know mm, like i mentioned yeah. we would cut two, three minutes and stick it in there so there are there are hours of awesome documentaries to be made and hours of new content to be made with all of this exclusive material. And one day we will do it. Um, but (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to do it. And I know that if I do a crowdfunding thing, then that's going to be a really big disruption in my life because I'm going to be so focused on pitching that and talking to people about Mm, that. and And, but I feel like people would be interested in that. So I, you know, it becomes like a juggling act, you know, but the core of, what I like to do every day is talk about what's happening now, you know, I've I've not, I've not been a person that has spent a lot of time reflecting and, and, you know, I have massive gratitude and and appreciation for everything that we've been able to accomplish, but I'm still accomplishing cool things. (laughs) I I like to get up and, and, uh, and do new stuff, you know, and play new games. Although this year I got, um, The analog Super NT. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, Yeah, yeah. It's like a Super Nintendo that's been re re, sort of fashioned with brand new electronics, and it has a (sighs) beautiful HD. It's super expensive. It's super expensive. I splurged. I got it because the Super Nintendo is one of my favorite consoles, if not my favorite console of all time. And I have this library of of Super Nintendo games that some were sent to us because we were. Uh, we were around when the super Nintendo was, was out there, but some I had personally, um, I had acquired and collected and I said, I want to play these on my, uh, my 4k TV in the best way possible. And so I bought one and I freaking love it. And it's really been amazing for me to, uh, you know, especially I'm at this quarter century mark of doing this content, but to, to plug in an old cartridge and, and realize, God, these things have always been amazing. Games have always been incredible. And, and, uh, transportive
1: okay I'm curious about something yeah there, there's a lot of people out there that make shows there's people out there that would love to make TV style shows TV quality shows on YouTube because you know YouTube's a place you don't have to pitch it to you just kind of go there and start doing it yeah um so your setup your equipment all that stuff I'm assuming is way higher than what any person would just go do it when they're starting out but how do you no, okay not anymore So okay, so talk about that. Like, what is your setup, right? Like, and then Mm. is this something that's obtainable by someone's? Like, I have this idea for a TV style thing. I can make it myself and put it on YouTube and not have to worry about having to pitch it to these other people.
0: Dude, for ten thousand dollars, you could get like state of the art gear that's going to look amazing. You know, you get your (laughs) you get you get yourself a uh, a computer, and that sounds like a lot of money. Oh yes, it does. (laughs) I spent ten thousand dollars on our first computer. For EP, first real computer that was going to be able to run games properly and do all of the the uh, website crunching and all the de- all the graphics and all the stuff that we wanted. It was I don't know, like it was a terrible PC uh, back in '95 and ten thousand know, dollars in
1: '95. Yeah,
0: yeah, it was crazy. I mean, you can easily spend that much money now on on a on a Mac that's all souped up as well. Um, and you know, it was our first business machine. It was going to create all of the stuff. I spent forty thousand dollars on a beat up old uh, avid system that was only capable of producing edits so that they could then be we could export the edit decision list, the EDL, into another computer that would be the online and we had to had to rent that. and that was thousands of dollars every uh, week just to rent that that online suite. Now you could spend, Uh, you know, a few grand on a a great PC or probably four grand on an awesome Mac and uh, (laughs) maybe a little bit less, you know, Macs cost more, uh, get yourself the, uh, premier, uh, suite, uh, you know, you pay 50 bucks a month or whatever, which is an incredible deal. I think because of the, um, uh, you know, the amount of after shipping patches and updates and things like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it it's a it's a monthly expense, but if you're a creator, and I've spent thousands of dollars on licenses, on seats, you know, because I've at one point we had uh, I don't know twenty editors, and we had twenty, um, we were on Final Cut, we were on Avid, we were on uh, I don't think we were, I, no, we never got to Premiere Premiere Pro. Really, it's just been kicking butt in the last few years, but we we did Avid and Final Cut, and those were. You know, thousand fifteen hundred dollars software programs, and we had to buy those outright, and then we'd have to update those in a couple of years or a few years. Um, you know our first betacam cost us a fortune. Uh, it was a good camera, and video cameras were very expensive and and uh, and robust and and uh, got us good images. I spent seventy five thousand dollars on a on a um, an HD cam deck because we were the first production company to make an hD video game show called the art of play for (laughs) gameplay HD. And we needed, we needed to deliver an HD cam and the tapes cost $200 each for an hour. And we bought, we bought a deck that cost us $75,000 and, uh, it's probably worth five grand now, maybe, you know, if we're lucky. And, uh, but that was the cost of doing production. Now, I, we upgraded to uh, Panasonic GH5s this year because I, I don't have the, the TV budget, so I can't I can't just go willy-nilly splurge. We have a lot of our HD cameras and stuff from the uh, the TV days because we eventually ended up on XD cam, good video cameras. But they can't compete with what you can do on a DSLR. You've got interchangeable lenses. You've got... Uh, um, uh, you, you know, like broadcast quality audio input stuff in there. Now you can get little att- attachments that stick on the hot shoe and you can stick in XLR mics. Everything has dropped. Microphones have dropped. Uh, you know, we're living in the age of the broadcaster for sure, like the individual broadcaster. And if you spent... Um, a couple thousand bucks on it. You don't even need to, the, the Canon M50 from what I've been reading right yeah. now is probably one of the best vlog camera deals you can buy. It will shoot 4k super cropped, um, at only 24p, but it's still going to look pretty damn solid. But the 1080p on it is amazing. And that's probably what most people are going to want to output and, and upload to YouTube anyways. Oh yeah. Uh, and you get great, Great tech in there. 1080p, 60 frames a second, down at whatever frames. You got slow mo. It's and that's $750 with a kit lens, and you can buy another $200 prime lens and stick that on there. You're going to get an amazing shots. That's why YouTube videos look better than TV. You know, that's why there's so many channels out there that look so incredible. People have just invested, and they use it for personal and they use it for professional. And sometimes a lot of these people are wedding photographers or, or um, you know, they shoot commercials or you know, they do brand deals or whatever. Uh, but all of that gear, the gear is not the barrier at all anymore. If you are making that your excuse for building content, you are, are – um, it is just an excuse. You are losing the plot. Go out, find a job, but get yourself ten grand, put it in, a, in a, a, a savings account and then spend that money on getting yourself really, really set up to produce whatever the hell you want.
1: Okay, so there's there's something I'm realizing as as we talk through this. Yeah. So part of it was was that statement right there. If, yeah. If, if this is your excuse, get a job, put this money into savings, use it to do this thing, right? Yeah. And at the beginning of our conversation, you you were kind of talking about how EP or electric playground and all that stuff got started. And you were talking about how you're you're a waiter and you're like you know writing down a list of, of basically businesses you could start, right? Or things you could do. Yes. And it, it makes you realize like, um, that you must just have that like built into you to some extent, because (laughs) I'm, I'm in this situation right now. Uh, I'm going to be moving here sometime in the next four or five months, hopefully sooner. Um, I, I'm trying to basically start a whole new career in a new area. Um, I I can't figure out what it is I'm going to do. I mean, I applied to a bunch of things and. It's not going so well. And so the thought it comes in is like, I just want to work for myself, right? Yeah. I just want yeah. to make my own thing. And and I sat there, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm smart enough. Uh, I have an education with business school uh, and a few other things, but I'm just like, but what's the idea, right? Like, yeah. what's the idea? And so it's impressive to me that you're just able to be like, all right, well, I got, you know, one of, you know, make this list of one of these things like, oh, okay, no one's doing this. I'm just going to go do it. And you did like that.
0: Yep. Like, and that still holds true. I mean, the only thing, Jonathan, that you're, you're in and, and I, uh, you know, I, I definitely think about this for, for, uh, you know, creators and young creators out there. No one's special anymore when everyone's got a camera and a microphone the idea of content creation is not special. What's special? No person is. What's special is the content that they create and the way that they approach it. Yeah. And that's what you have to kind of zero in on. It's not that you can, um, deliver, uh, you know, video content on a regular basis or, 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 whatever it is. What is the context and what is the, uh, what is the meat of your content? What makes your message special the way that you deliver it? Everybody should be I think about this all the time, like every brand out there, every store, every like I think it's ludicrous that every retailer, every every company that has a, a physical brick and mortar store, not they shouldn't just be doing Instagram photos of their goods and say, come on and hashtag this. Or They should be making a show out of their store every day and they should be doing it in a way that is authentic and heartfelt, and from a place of um, legitimately wanting to cater to, to their customers, and um, letting people into their world. Because why wouldn't you? So, you have free distribution all over the place. You have, you know, relatively, a, people can make incredible looking things on their cell phones. Why wouldn't you build content that helps to define what your message is? So Everybody g- can do it, though.
1: Give me, give me a little snippet here. I'm, I'm curious to, to, to how you picture this,
0: right? Um, yeah.
1: so let's say a store, uh, we'll say Best Buy, yeah. right? That's, that's a, a big brick and mortar store. It's everywhere. We all know yep. about it. Yep. What would their show be like? Like, what would they, what would they show off that, that's not right. shown in a commercial or in an ad?
0: I would say you would, um, you would have, uh, probably like the senior buyers, the people that are bringing in products into the, into the store, you get an understanding of what their business is and why they are choosing these different products. And you try to make it less about, you know, getting another commercial spot for them because that's how these big box retailers do. It's just about, uh. Uh, going back to the vendors and asking them to pay for better floor positioning and stuff like that. You don't think about that now. You think mm. about it when you're building your first videos. You think about engaging an audience and letting people into the world of your business and um, the genuine excitement that you have for picking the different products that you're bringing into your outlet. Because let's be honest, you're uh, you're kind of like a, you know you're offering entertainment to the consumer. If you've got a physical location, you're offering them a, a reason to escape what they're thinking about in their in their. Uh, listen. I could pitch this as a business if I wanted to spend time. This, this is a business that that clearly needs to be made because retail is not connecting with people and it has an opportunity to. I'll tell you this, though. The smartest thing that Kevin Smith, who I'm a huge fan of, ever did in his whole career is make comic book men. Because he made mm-hmm. a long-running show about a store that he owns um, that acted as a de facto uh, commercial In a genuine way, in an honest way, in a a, a celebratory way to drive people to this location in an industry that it's incredibly competitive because the, you know, the comics you can get online and toys you can buy online and have them shipped to you sometimes at much, uh, um, you know, cheaper rates than you can because of the retail brick and mortar costs. But he made going to uh, his store in New Jersey an event just like the Cake Boss people did and the tattoo shows, all of these different places. And he did it from a, a place of really understanding his audience and connecting with them. And it's probably made his business there a ton of money. And he also has all of these, uh, uh, you know, all the licensing fees and all the money that he made from making the show. And they made enough episodes that it's probably going to run in in uh, syndication and, and, you know, it's going to run in perpetuity. And it will always be this, this uh, you know, divining rod to send people to his location, which is really smart. And And I would... Probably hazard to guess that out of all of the movies he's made, all of the things that he has done, all of the speaking engagements, everything that he's done, he's probably making more off of that than anything else he's done. That's just my speculation. I could be totally wrong. But um, so I would say that if you are in retail or in any, uh, you know, there are not there are no barriers. Just make something real, you know, make something authentic and try to even subvert all the bullshit, uh, you know, reality show Overproduced garbage that's out there right now. People can see right through that. But if if I if I wanted to be a marketing video guy and get into the commercial space, that's the stuff that I would do. People connect with authenticity. That's why we have YouTubers like Casey Neistat and and uh, Marcus Brownlee and lots of other people out there that uh, have millions and millions of of followers just because of that that authentic you know kind of feel that they. They give off when you watch their material. It's like you're really in in, in those worlds, you know?
1: So, you know, you you, you mentioned authenticity and, and being able to connect and stuff like that. And I've maybe seen half an episode of Comic Book Men. Um, yeah. Does that one feel more authentic and more real than a lot of these other TV shows based around stores like Pawn Stars? And um? God, I don't know no, why pretty- that's the only one
0: it's produced for tv for sure but it also is an underrepresented category you know mm. there is no other comic book men so any co- any uh, person that happens to be watching television and, and a lot of that viewership is definitely shifted away and that's probably why amc hasn't renewed the show but they did i don't know 8 or 9 seasons that's just an example though yeah. you know what what i would say to any creators out there is the only excuse there There's no, there's no excuse really. Like if, if you want to build stuff, it's, it's sitting right there, you know, these distribution mechanisms and these different ways. And honestly, like as an employer, as somebody that's hired lots and lots of people to build content with and to, you know, um, work with them to, to engender their creativity and to encourage them to, you know, come up with lots of great ideas and, and, uh, contribute I know that now. I would never hire anybody that isn't already doing something cool on on YouTube or Twitch or whatever. You know, I would never do it, and I would never hire a person that is thinking that they've only they're only coming into the company for one job. Especially somebody saying, "I'm I'm just going to be good in front of the camera." I would mm. never hire that person. If you can't edit your your own stuff, if you don't if you don't know how to construct a story or how to put a uh, a piece together on your own, then I, you know. It, It's time for everybody to be able to do that is what I'm saying, because all of those tools are readily available. And if you don't want to spend money on a, on a dedicated camera with interchangeable lenses and and a professional microphone, look at your goddamn cell phone and recognize (laughs) that it's a computer with every editing opportunity potential (laughs) built right into that thing. You know, I can't, I can't tell you, like I have a six year old daughter, so I'm always taking photos and, and, you know, I have other cameras and stuff and I, I import them into the into the phone all the time, but I'm always taking photos with the phone and videos with the phone and, you know, or recording us talking or singing or whatever. And I put these little videos together in iMovie that are amazing, you know? Oh yeah. We didn't have any of that shit at all when I was coming up, you know, at all. And so consequently, because we did not, it cost us thousands of dollars to assemble the amount of people it would take to be able to do something that looks remotely close to what you can do on your iPhone now. <laughs> <laughs> with, oh yeah. Know, a few button presses, which is incredible.
1: So, you know, you would, you'd mentioned a second ago about how you wouldn't hire someone that, oh, sorry. As I was like bash my microphone here, yeah. you, you wouldn't hire somebody that doesn't already like basically isn't already doing this stuff on some platform. Right? Yes. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Cause I a uh, conversation. God, I don't remember how many weeks back it would have been now. Um, I, I was talking with someone and we were discussing how you can take what you do here, like, and I say here as in, in what you create and what you're putting out there and yep. really use that as like a legit resume booster, uh, depending on what you're going for. And that's something that just, I guess up until recently, I never thought of that. And yeah, I don't 100%. Yeah. And for me personally, I don't know if it's just cause the field I currently work in doing this has really no ties to that. But yeah. like I said, I'm trying to completely change what I do for a living. So who knows?
0: Well, I think I think we're going to see I mean, this is just me speculating, but I think we're going to see a lot of companies um, hire communications people that connect with their audiences in in uh, in, in authentic ways that are basically in production within mm-hmm. organizations and I think it'd be foolish for people not to I mean there's a lot of that already endemically in the uh in the video game industry the challenge is you know creating that content so it doesn't just come off like an overt advertisement you know yeah. overt advertisement and I think there's so so much of that and it's we're so saturated with it and we're so suspicious of it and I think we we should be you know I think that uh, there's a lot of youtubers out there that just live for that that Brand deal that's going to happen and be that sponsor. That's just going to crack them into the next stratosphere and then you know, they get it and it's It just doesn't come off like they really care about that, you know And I what I would encourage anybody that's getting into media development is like be true to you more than anything else out there you know, like really people will smell the phoniness and we have more ways to see that phoniness, you know, and we leave this digital trail of what we really believe in through our tweets and our Facebook posts and our videos. And I think just really find out what you want to do. And, yeah, I mean, what I did when I was in my 20s to kind of determine that this was going to be the route I was going to take was I did take the the time, you know, probably a good couple of weeks of writing down a 100 ideas. And I could have gone with any one of them. But that time, that labor, that thinking through the process of you know, how would I put, put a business plan together and that, you know, honestly, I had a lot of interactions with people that, that tried to kind of shoehorn me into the conventional way of thinking of like, write your business plan, like what's your five year, 10 year. And I did do that, um, back in the day and I had a lot of speculation and, and, uh, uh, dreams and I wrote them all down and we just shot rate right past all of that stuff quickly. Um, but in that exercise, I don't want to sound arrogant and thinking that, you know, your, your ideas will just carry you forward and, and, uh, you'll get through whatever hardships you think just based on, on your perseverance or whatever. There are definitely going to be challenges, but in the exercise of writing down concepts, recognizing that no matter what you do, no matter how alone you are in your creation, it's going to come up to the point where you're going to need to collaborate with people and you're going to need to do that well, and you're going to need to be a great partner and, and a, uh, an empathetic one. Um, and you're going to need to respect that partnership with whomever, uh, but also define your own intentions with integrity. Uh, you know, I think those exercises are incredibly valuable. And I think if you are trying to c- create your own direction in life, it's important to just step away from the noise and think about who you are and what you want to do. And you know, I'll tell you prior to me writing all of this stuff down, my wife and I, she was my girlfriend at the time, we had taken off to Mexico. We had both been in the uh, waiting industry, the serving the restaurant business in Vancouver and and we'd done well enough that we'd saved some money and we said we're going to go to Mexico and live down there for 6 months and you know, oh, just wow. backpack and see what kind of a world we're going to create for ourselves and and um it was great to get away. We we ended up being a little disillusioned with, with, um, you know, how fast our money was going in Mexico and our experience down there. And we ended up doing other things on our, our trip and having a cool adventure. But one of the things that happened to me is that I had a, I had a very restless night while I was down there and I was just tossing and turning, kind of wondering what the hell I was going to do. You know, what what was I going to do with my life? I didn't want to turn 30 and I'd still just be waiting for somebody to notice me. And, and, uh, you know, hope that I would get my big break, and and I needed to go through that. It was like I had a midlife crisis, you know, yeah. when when I was in my twenties, and I needed to go through that. And I I needed to be away from my life to go through that perspective that it was up to me. It was up to me to 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 decide what my life was going to be. And if I didn't do that, I don't know if I would have had the wherewithal to write down a hundred ideas, and and I literally did that. You know, it's not it's not just. it's not her hyperbole. It's not, I'm not making it up. I'm not, it's not just part of my, my myth or my story or whatever. I literally wrote down a hundred ideas of other kinds of things like opening up a a restaurant that had game content in it or uh, a lot of stuff that wasn't even related to video games. But I knew that I loved, um, I loved video games and I loved uh, acting and, and the, the film world fan, you know, fantasy and escapism. I, 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 I'm a child of the seventies and eighties. So, uh, you know, I grew up with, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg inventions and uh, they were so inspiring you know Star Wars came out and Superman came out and and Indiana Jones and Terminator all these things they defined what I wanted to do with my life you know and so uh, that ability to get away from myself and think about what will my life be professionally yeah, it's just a part. And, and honestly, that's just a part of it, too. Right. Like, that's the thing. You are not just defined by, uh, w- you know, what you work on. It becomes a, a big obsession in, in anyone's life when they work on something that they love. And I, I can't lie and say that that EP hasn't been my obsession. I think if anybody looks at the amount of YouTube videos I post, I can see that it's an obsession for me. Uh, but it's not it's not the whole thing that uh you know, that defines a human and it's really important to, you know, find love. Honestly, like if I didn't, if I didn't have my wife too, like none of this stuff would have happened either. You know, like I, 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 I I'm a, I'm a monogamous person and I've had a lot of uh, really solid, cool relationships in my life. But when I found my wife, that was it. And, and she was my backbone and she gave me so much support and so much, Uh, you know, pushback also on my crazy ideas. She's much more of a realist than me, but she gave me a lot of foundational (laughs) backing that allowed me to go into dreamscape and think selfishly of what did I want to do? You know, and I don't, you know, that's another one of those partnerships that I think every person that wants to be in the creative world needs to, um, navigate for themselves. And then my daughter coming six years ago also was, uh, Uh, she saved our lives, my, my wife and I, because we lost our parents, you know, within a couple of years of that, uh, of her coming and, uh, the company, I had to lay off lots of people and everything was shifting in media. You know, we, we lasted a long ass time longer than probably most outlets out there. Uh, but you know, the, the, the prospect of having to say goodbye to people and lay them off was, was awful. It was just terrible. And I felt so, so brutalized by it and I you know luckily everybody has done very well and landed in good jobs and and I'm very proud of where everybody else has gone but uh yeah you know I was I and my wife who helps me run the company were shepherding this and trying to navigate through the the these stormy waters of of what media was going to be uh but my daughter was that that buoy you know in the in the water mm. that that we both could cling to and and realize that no you know we 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 got her and she makes us strong and we also need to be strong, you know? And, uh, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> lots of, lots of perspective in there. But I, I say, look, if you're young and you want to make, make things, uh, whatever it is, like m- make them about something you really believe in. Here's one other last piece of advice around this. It's hard to do anything. It's hard to do a, do- a job that you hate. Yeah. It's hard. Not just because it's, a job that you hate. It's just hard to do that job. And the truth is someone else will want that job. If you don't do a good job, doesn't matter if you like it or hate it, but it's hard to do something you hate. So, you know, endeavor to do something you don't hate, endeavor to do something that you really like, but, uh, work hard at it and really understand why you're doing it, you know, and, and question yourself and take your, take your, uh, uh, you know, take stock of it. Often and realize, am I still loving this? Am I still doing this? Am I still doing this for the right reasons? You know, is it just because I want to make a lot of money and then escape from this? You know, because a lot of people do. I think a lot of people earn revenue and earn earn money um, just so that they can obliterate themselves on the weekends, you know, and then they, they stagger in and hate their job through the week. And, you know, count those hours, man. Like, that, that's a lot of time in a person's life if you're miserable, you know it's not worth it. Like really try to enjoy what you do and then work really hard to do the best that you can with it. And, uh, um, you'll be better off even if it's making less money, you'll be, you'll, you'll just be better off, you You, know?
1: You know, and that's something I'm having to look at a lot right now is, you know, the job I have, I, I don't like, um, there are people out there that would kill to do what I do and have kind of the schedule and the free time that I have. But, there's so much about it that I'm just I'm I'm after doing it for about six years, I'm at my wit's end, I've got to get away from it, which works out seeing how I'm up and basically taking our whole lives and moving them across the country here soon. Yeah. Um, but having to look at that and be like, okay, like what do I want to do? And weighing that against the monetary loss of doing that over what I do now. Yeah. It's a whole thing. But you know, like like you said, like if you're just powering through the the work hours to make enough money to forget that you do that thing, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's probably not worth it.
0: Well, especially if you know that someone would, you know, flourish in that opportunity that you have. I think it's important though, if you're working for a company to put yourselves in the owner's shoes and to realize that the owner, you know, depending on the company, there are, I think some, some crappy, owners out there and some crappy companies that, that, uh, the executives make, you know, 50 million times more than the the people that work for them. And that sucks. Um, but I, I think it's important for the individual to put themselves in the, in the owner's shoes and to, to, you know, think that most companies I would imagine, they're just trying to do right by their business and make a profit and pay their people. And I think a lot of owners, uh, get, kind of boxed into this this like well they're the man or they're the bo- the big boss and they, they just care about their money and i i think you it, it's important to especially if you've got entrepreneurial ideas for your own business it's important to put yourself in that perspective and in that other person's shoes and and really recognize their their uh, their merits and their faults and understand why they have these deficiencies um and you know, if there's a way to change that, if there's a way through conversation or, or, um, through meetings to help to change the, uh, the environment that you're in for the better so that you won't feel like you're being, um, buried under work that you hate, then I I say, try, you know, you know, and utilize the, the, the values, which is, of staying in a job like that, which is regular pay and and uh you know some medical help or whatever, whatever the the benefits that you have for working in a company, utilize that to help build a better life around your work, but endeavor to try to go into that job with a with a better healthier kind of perspective if you can if you feel like you can't, but you know that other people would like that job, then yeah, I'd say get out of the way, you know, don't yeah. waste your life get out of the way and and uh um, you know, also take stock of, of what your merits are to another business, but understand also as I'm speaking as a business owner and someone that worked with business owners that I really learned from cause they were shitty. Uh, but I, speaking as a business owner is that, you, you know, like it's not easy to run a business. It's not easy to have employees and to make sure that the payroll is covered and, and this is something that I, I bring up a lot when people say, how do you do a TV show and like what do you want to – like how did you learn how to do it and, and how can I do it? And, it, it, you know, it's different now because you can be a one-man show and you can build a lot of stuff on your own and you can slowly bring in like one or two contributors. And I think honestly, that's been one of the deficiencies in a lot of the ways that we get media now is that the things are just a little too small. Mm. It's empowering that we have so many individual voices out there that are, you know, articulate and well-produced and, and know what they're talking about. But we don't have, um, a chorus of ideas uh, as often as I would like, except for the pundits on the news, which are, you know, all talking about politics and and uh, end of the world existential threats and things uh, where they, we can get a, light, a nice chorus of ideas. But I feel like within the, um, y- you know, I mean, there's certainly podcasts and board buddies and stuff like that are out there. But I feel like one of the special things that we were able to do is I, I hired professionals. That were incredibly articulate and already working in um, in their respective fields. Great writers. That, you know, I didn't hire uh, just spokespeople, you know, or or actors. I hired people mm-hmm. that really knew what they were talking about, and I loved that. You know, reviews on the run and, and EP Daily and uh, you know the the content that we provided was was crafted by really smart people. Uh, all with the power to to you know communicate and share their their wisdom and and uh, you know people could watch in real time uh, y- you know a, a truthful conversation unfold that was really beneficial to them. And I think that we still get that on YouTube, but it's more one to one. It's more yeah. just one person pontificating. And a lot of times it's totally just conjecture and hearsay. And it's news about news about news about it's almost like the old uh, <laughs> tin can thing, you know, where it's suddenly the story completely changes because nobody's actually talking with the source. Um, but I, I feel like as an employer. If you are thinking of building something and hiring people and growing like it's two different deals, it's two different businesses. The the business of creation is a real business. It takes all it's all consuming. It, it, it takes a lot of time out of your life to kind of conceive of things and to go into production on things and to track down people to talk with and to think of the travel or whatever aspects of your creativity are, are, are going to be, you know, whatever is involved with that creativity. But it's another thing and a whole other business and a very time-consuming business to make sure that your staff is okay and that they're getting paid enough and that mm. they – they, they, or their payroll is never skipped. And if they're sick often, why is that happening? Are they okay? Is it healthy? Are they healthy? Or, you know, are, um, are they going through some tough stuff in their personal lives and bringing that to work? Are they getting overworked? Are they too stressed at the, you know, and it's, it's, you know, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't feel like people are going to be thinking about that too much. Cause I don't, I don't know if building a media business in this day and age is, is uh, the dream for a lot of people out there? <laughs> I think pe- people just want to build a YouTube channel, and then if it makes lots and lots of pe- lots of money, they can hire an editor. Um, and, but I, you know, if if you're trying to build a TV show, recognize that you've got you've got two businesses that you're building at the same time. And then, honestly, because of the relationship with the broadcaster and the sponsors, it's almost like you're building four businesses. You know. Man. it's, uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of juggling.
1: Um, okay. So we got to get towards the end here and I've got something yep. that I want to, I want to kind of close out discussion with. Um, I was watching through a few more of your videos today at, uh, is it the EP daily live or EP, EP Live EP live. Sorry. I knew yep. I was going to screw that up, which makes me look like a great host. <laughs> um, and you started out and I, I know you've, you, I think maybe you do this in all of them where you're, you have like dedications to, um, viewers. I don't know if they're part of something specific or if they're just people that wrote in, you kind of read yeah. off what they wrote in and you kind of did the dedication there. Um, I, I've, I've talked to a number of people recently about community and I think yeah. this ties into that. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, now that, now that you are basically going direct to them, you're, you're only going to people who are basically seeking out to watch your thing, people who can instantly comment back to you or when you're doing stuff live, how does that community die or like uh entangle itself in there, and then with these dedications yep. like what do you think th- what do those do for you and what do those do for like the people you're dedicating it to like do you get a lot of response back on that
0: yeah i do uh, i you know I, I think it really started we we started to do this through twitter because uh we used to do the twitter question of the day on mm-hmm. on uh reviews on the run and it was a way you know when you make tv it's like you shoot it out in a in a you know in a in a spaceship and it just goes poosh and then it, you know it just it gets broadcast everywhere it's in a capsule and you say goodbye and you don't know who's watching or whatever right so th- I, to get the, the Twitter question every day was a way for us to connect with people directly. And I think people were really excited to hear their name on television. And it just felt good for us. And we got great questions. And it was great content in the show. And uh, we did a little bit of that when we started to do our YouTube stuff. And then this year with with Live, which is all about trying to bring as many people to watch it as possible. And, you know, we're, we're struggling with everybody having busy lives and, and it's an oversaturated world and, and we're trying to do the show. So it's not at, you know, 11 o'clock at night, you know, mm-hmm. cause we're live, So it's during the day. Um, and people are at work and at school. Uh, but one of the things that p- people are making time to come and watch our content and I thought, well, we need to let the people know that, uh, we're seeing their comments and reading their stuff and, and, uh, it it feels fantastic to, you know, read the comments, which are often "Holy crap, you're still doing this!" <laughs> I read that <laughs> comments a lot, <laughs> which is uh, flattering and and uh, also not flattering sometimes. But uh, um, it, it's it's fun. Um, but we also have a lot of uh, YouTube opened up this membership thing, this kind of sponsorship thing, where people can join by pressing the join button and they pay us five bucks a month, which is really sweet um it's it's nice to kind of honor that and then the other thing that happened this year for the first time you talk about community and building and how important all of that stuff is and uh you know one of the things that we didn't do enough of was was kind of merchandise our our content and our our brand and we never really had t-shirts for sale we didn't really understand because we were busy building a show and two shows and yeah. our team was just so focused on shipping half hour episodes every day, we didn't really kind of recognize that, Hey, we could have built up an online shop and people could have bought hats with electric playground on it and stuff. And this year I finally said, you know, if I don't do this, it, like why? It, this is like, we got to do it. It's a cool brand and people have respect for it and people have watched it forever. And so we, we built t-shirts and, and, uh, um, so people send us photos of the shirts and the hoodies and the, and the phone cases and cups and things like that that they've bought. And I love putting those up in the, in the content too. I mean, it works obviously as a, a way to kind of show that this stuff's available, but it's also really amazing to me that people wear our brand, you know, like yeah. it's, Yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not over how cool it is that I've got this gig, you know, <laughs> I, I've, I've been appreciative of, uh, appreciative, appreciative of it since the very beginning. And I continue to be like, I feel incredibly lucky, uh, you know, when I go to a convention or I'm stopped on the street or whatever, you know, it's just an amazing feeling that people have given up time in their life enough to care about what I've got to say or what we're putting out, you know, it's really, really amazing.
1: Awesome um all right we got to get out of here been talking for a little while now um first of all thank you very much for you know taking the time out of your you know production and making and doing all this stuff uh to come and talk to lowly old me i appreciate this very much
0: my pleasure thanks for having me
1: um yeah oh man i'm just i, I haven't recorded anything in a few weeks because i i record and you know it takes a little while for they come out so, so everything's spread out and everything and yeah. I, it's been a few weeks, and I'm, I'm so happy to be just back here behind a microphone and talking to you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely lifting my mood quite a bit. Um, awesome. Would you like to let everyone know, whoever's listening to this, if they don't already know who you are or whatever, where they can find Electric Playground, or is there like a website you always go to? I'll put links to everything in the description.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, our core sort of hub website is epn.tv. Uh, which stands for Electric Playground Network, and I, I created EPN as a brand because we were we had multiple shows and podcasts and all kinds of docs and all kinds of things going. And I thought I, I said that Electric Playground wasn't enough to encapsulate everything, so EPN came into being a couple of years ago, and that's sort of what we are under now. So EPN TV and our YouTube channel where we upload first. Uh, We do do some stuff on Facebook and on on Twitter and Daily Motion and other things and that might grow and Twitch, that might grow quite a bit next year but uh, where we post our videos first and where EP Live is um, often and right now we're celebrating the best of the year with our Rocket and Raygun Awards. That's all at YouTube.com slash EPN TV. So our URL is EPN.TV and our YouTube channel is EPN TV.
1: Awesome. And I will have links to all that put down in there. Guys, I am Johnny Casino, and you can hit me up on Twitter at Johnny underscore Casino, and I need you to hit me up on Twitter. Uh, I need you to hit me up and let me know if, if there are other people out there that I need to be um, uh, consuming their content and getting an idea and going out and reaching out to them to bring them on here. Uh, I'm at a point where I'm, I'm kind of fighting to figure out how I want to bring guests on and what guests I want to bring on. Um, If this is the first time you're listening, if Victor Lucas, if you saw this pop up, you're like, oh, Victor Lucas is on something, I better go listen to this. And you're listening to this for the very first time, thank you for listening. And feel free to go back. I've had some other amazing guests uh, before this talking about all different things, dealing with content creation. And even if you're not a content creator, uh, I've been told it is still enjoyable to listen to regardless. Um, So we're gonna get out of here. Thank you all very much. And I want you all to remember That making TV quality content on YouTube is cool, but radio is lame. Thanks, Spence.